Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast of Leporti, where Mish and I speak about what happened in the hospitality industry and in the news last week. Welcome. I think this is our sixth podcast already. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Exciting. Anniversary. It's like half a year old, except <laughs> only six weeks. Six weeks. I mean, it's still good. I think we're keep doing it because we're having fun. Thoroughly. And we're learning new things. Learning, having fun. I mean, what else do you need? Hang out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Well, ding, ding, ding. Let's start with our first news. And one of the news is that the CEO of IHG has resigned. Right? And now we want to talk about what he's done. Yes, his time. indeed. Um, I was for a while when I saw the news. Didn't want to include it because... Because it happens all the time. Somebody gets, somebody resigns, somebody starts new. What, why is that a relevant piece of news, right? If you think about it, at least from my perspective. But I've given it a second thought all because right. I remember hearing you telling me it might be important. And uh, quite frankly, yes, this is the CEO of the fourth biggest hotel chain in the world. And he's been working there for five years. I mean, it's not as much maybe as compared to some other CEOs who have been there. Let's say the one from Accor, Sebastian Bazon. I think already almost 12 ten, years, yeah, 12, 10 years, ten. but still, um, it's like an ultimate resume. What did a CEO of a fourth biggest hotel chain manage to do in six months? Sorry, six, um, six years, sorry, five years. Yes. So what did he do? <laughs> exactly. What did he do? <laughs> I know that he bought Regent. That is one. I, um, he bought Six Senses. <laughs> the most important thing I think is he, um, we could summarize in two things. First of all. He has managed and kind of driven the acquisition of uh, around six new hotel chains or new brands mm. that are now under the division of Intercontinental. And then the second thing that I found quite interesting, which is also kind of one of the more important things, is he um, has converted a lot of the Intercontinental portfolio into a more luxury uh, segment. Mm. So he's basically taken the whole brand, the whole company, and has pushed it more towards the, in the luxury section of, uh, of the business. So they've moved away uh, from budget sections. And I think the numbers were that they've almost converted 30 or 40% of previous uh, inventory that was mid-bottom scale uh, up to upper scale um, brands. Was it, I mean, IHT always had a little bit of that, um, let's say, reputation of, yeah, like lower or budget hotels. But is it more of like image thing as well? Or because in... It doesn't necessarily mean that, let's say, luxury hotels make more revenue because often you have the, the three stars, which are the biggest cash cows. So what, what do you think is the reason that he wants to push it towards luxury? I, think, um, I don't think none of us have read any of the shareholder meetings. I, no, uh, I wasn't there. That's true. It's more an um, opinion question. I mean, I would imagine he's just trying to segment and um, basically bring up the ADR rates and maybe, as you said, go away from this, the image of a slightly more... Uh, cheaper oh, cheap. hotel chain. I mean, in my mind, a stereotypical intercontinental is an old building somewhere <laughs> in a central European city that was built in the 80s and they haven't done much about it. Uh, so yeah, maybe they want to move away from that. I mean, I mean yeah, and he also has built a big pipeline and expanded in, in China and the Americas, right? Which yeah. is good. I guess that's what a hotel chain CEO is supposed to do. Expand focus on more things and um, there is also a big section about sustainability as, mm. I'm, as I'm sure Intercontinental has done a lot of work in that field um, so quite a bit of things 
But yeah. I mean, to me, most important thing is if if one is working in hotels and even in the Continental or any hotel, um, and one tends to think of oneself as you know smart or t- trying to achieve something, what is it that people that very very top do? And I think. Mm. Uh, uh, that's why this was quite interesting to me. Um, for those who are interested, we there is a link provided in our in the podcast in our newsletter, uh, basically uh, breaking down all the major things that he's done that in he's his done. in his five career five year career at Intercontinental. Yeah. So. Yeah, please go and read. He also boosted the tech and the loyalty program. I think there are many many things that he's done. Um, and I think it's super good to get an in, yeah, insight on what CEOs can do within five years. Like, if you can take the decision, it's pretty. I think now it's time to maybe uh, ask the question, Miriam, do you have your favorite CEO? Do I have, my, <laughs> <laughs> do I have my favorite CEO? Maybe a tattoo? Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> no favorite CEO for the moment that I want to share here publicly. So <laughs> And then, then I think it's time to move on to the next news. All right. Um, I think um, important, in, interesting piece of news this week was that um, Marriott has acquired a the thirty first brand of theirs. And once again, to me, this, this falls into that category of if you bought thirty brands, why should anybody care that you bought the thirty first? <laughs> but if you read into it. Um, I think that that's the, the interesting part, that there is actually a lot of uh, strategic thinking behind it. Yeah. I mean, expanding into Mexico, you have different ways on how you can expand into Mexico, right? And I think um, acquiring an initial brand, which already has hotels. How many hotels did they have already? I think they had um, 17,000 uh, units. 17,000 units? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that's probably uh, approximately somewhere around 200, 100 hotels. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that's a smart move to move into Mexico. And I think, I mean, if you work in a transaction um, business, so to say, I think every transaction or every purchase of every hotel is quite complicated. And sometimes they may, they prefer to make big portfolio or company purchases. Um, I think it's also very time efficient. What do you think are the risks of just buying um, a Mexican company? Well, I'm sure the culture might be quite a quite different from that of uh, a typical way of married doing things. I mean, the, all the average risks of a merger and acquisition kind of deal, probably yeah. uh, not merger, an acquisition deal mm. come into play, right? You have a certain, as you said, culture or the way of doing things in Mexico, and maybe married isn't going to be uh, uh, so uh, so happy with the way Mexicans do it, uh, just because of pure simple cultural differences. But I mean, to me. The interesting part is that not everybody did that. Uh, Hilton and uh, IHG or the Continental actually grew their own brands from scratch. Mm-hmm. So um, the brand called True and Avid, mm-hmm. uh, they actually genuinely, naturally uh, created an own brand. And mm-hmm. with the help of local developers, investors have opened up a bunch of new developments. So they didn't take over any existing buildings. Mm-hmm. They actually have just grown their own network, their own uh, their own company, their own their business. Mm-hmm. So... It's kind of like a counterexample of of you having to buy a business in mm-hmm. order to go into a new country, for example, when you market. Yeah, I, I get that point. I think the way, in my point of view, the way Marriott did it with buying the City Express, um, I think it kind of makes sense because in Mexico, many things work very differently than, let's say, in the US or here in Germany. And if it's a, a company that works 
in itself already. I mean, if they have 100 hotels, they must be doing something right in order to be able to grow um, and sustain their business. So I think that sometimes if you really want to adapt to the local culture and keep the local culture within your business, it's it might be a very good idea to buy it, maybe support it with different finances where you think it's important, change some functions, like, I don't know, financial controller or whatever, um, and keep it running locally, which I think can be a very authentic experience based on that. So And they've done that. I think it will be... I mean, at this point, if you've done it 30 times, yeah. you could probably <laughs> do it the 31st. Uh, uh, I agree. I agree. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. 31 brands. The biggest hotel wow. chain in the world. I think they yeah. have around 1.2 million units. Crazy. And now 17,000 more. So it's like a drop in the ocean. I never from. know whether it's Aqua or Marriott's. I think they have like different metrics where it's number of units or rooms or... Yeah. And I guess it changes. They're doing acquisitions all the time. Aqua is also now a hostel chain, right? So Joe and Joe. Uh, do they include the units of a hostel or yes. the beds of the hostel? So that will be... God. Well... well that... Bam, bam, bam! Next, Next news! <laughs> This is a pre-recorded uh, <laughs> sound effect that we've purchased for three thousand dollars. Three thousand for sure. So, what else would you? What else do we have? Um, for me, interesting uh, set of news this week as well was um, in-person conferences. Uh, yeah. We've talked about uh, last a few previous weeks that uh, basically any business travel is still kind of way below COVID times. Yeah, uh, people are indeed. You know, doing a lot of home office, the budgets were lower. We saw a lot of statistics that basically the business travel isn't really that great at the moment. And uh, this week, a survey came out by conducted by HES, a leading uh, host, uh, hospitality consulting firm, mm-hmm. basically uh, surveying, uh, I think, around 350 uh, business travelers and also people who have decision-making power in terms of business travel budgets. Okay. And the survey it seems very optimistic in terms of business travel. Okay. So first of all, basically every single person in the survey uh, wanted to almost increase uh, business travel, mm-hmm. more specifically related to either conventions and exhibitions or related to sales. So doing sales trips again, and uh, basically wanted to increase their travel by about an average 35-40%, which mm. is pretty, pretty, pretty high, right? And I, I mean, it kind of make, makes sense. To me, in a way, I think we haven't been able to travel. And I think connections with people also in business is super important. Like we always say in in hospitality, like, would you really sell a hotel to someone that you've never seen before? Because I do believe that if you meet someone in person, you have a complete different relationship or like connection that also maybe you like the person, you want to call them be like, hey, this is what I have. If you just meet online, the the connection that you make is, is... It's just really not the same. But I find it very interesting because this week is the IHIF in Berlin, the biggest hotel investment um, fair or convention. um, And it's very interesting that many people now during, let's say, downturn, they say, well, we're not very interested in buying right now, so we're actually not going. And I mean, the prices is quite, I think it's 4,000 a ticket, more or less, um, that many people also say, well, you know, (laughs) we're going to wait it out because the, the, the price is quite high. So I've gotten like on the market bit of feedback that they're not going to the convention. Really? Um, during, during... And that's like one of the leading, leading mm. for sure. 
uh, yeah. Osmond, several, several people that I would have expected to go said that they're not going. So I find it interesting to have this. Um, yeah, the survey also you. the survey also goes into detail as to why people would be going uh, or mm. why they would be attending. And uh, number one, guess guess what? Networking. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, you can see here quite interesting conferences, conventions, exhibitions, corporate events, all are going up. Yeah. Um, in terms of networking, so people see that as a networking opportunity. Online events have gone way down. Yeah. Obviously, maybe people have realized networking in uh, online <laughs> events is uh, either you have to get really drunk or uh, it gets a bit awkward. Let's put and it I think it's the focus as well and the vibes, right? Like, let's say you're in the intercontinental, everybody walks around in their suits and you see faces that you've seen before. It's so different than when you sit behind your laptop and people turn off their camera and you don't know whether they're listening or... <laughs> doing something else so I actually yeah I can totally that that kind of like goes along with my feelings let's say that <laughs> I think we should uh, somebody should conduct a study or a survey what do you do during uh, online conferences exactly <laughs> Having a snack or taking care of your kids reading a book whatever yeah uh, for me the interesting part uh, was that the part about so the reason for attending being content of the program so for example attending a speech a keynote or you know, picking up some brochures, I suppose. Mm. Um, people find conferences and conventions more useful in terms of content of the programs than online. Even though for me, as right as a, as a millennial, uh, <laughs> it seems quite a lot more productive to go into an online event, right? You can always rewatch stuff, you can re pre-record it, or you can uh, play and pause, whatever. So, yeah. so it's much more kind of interactive, perhaps, in terms of content, but not according to the people who participated in the survey. Yeah, that's counterintuitive to me as well. Because, right, like when, when you're there, you were like, I don't know, other people that, but I quickly chat to my neighbor. <laughs> when I would miss what happens. But I guess it's really about the vibe. I don't know. To see someone on stage and, and listen to them is very, I think the focus is very different again. And you don't than, get distracted. Exactly. Like you, you, you hear them. And you also, it's kind of a, you want to be respectful to the person on stage. Whereas on, online, you just, you're on mute anyway. So you, yeah, you maybe chat to your partner or whoever is around. So, uh, summarizing, I think we can say um, work business travel has some future. Yeah, it's sure. going to increase and people like to go to conference. Sounds it's good. very good for conference hotels. Bam, bam, bam. Next news. We're talking about job security now and what the data really tells us. Exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, 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 I like your lack of sarcasm in that particular mm. phrase, but uh, we saw this news and it's um, quite an interesting article about um, uh, AI and job security. I'm sure you've all heard that AI is going to take a lot of jobs. Uh, well, there has been a very interesting take by The Economist on, on this topic. And, um, it's not. They're not taking Well, the, the, the title of the article says probably. <laughs> <laughs> They're so, probably not um, replacing your job. Okay. Most likely not. So, they, 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 but um, I mean, in, this, in, a, in a nutshell, uh, what the, the article talks about is basically the current AI tools and the, the form they will take in the next uh, five to six years, unless they completely gain consciousness and take over the world, will likely help 80% uh, of the workforce Mm -hmm. uh, to outsource about 10% of their tasks. And this okay. is, by the way, data from OpenAI themselves. So what it basically in a nutshell is, at least the tools that are currently coming out, mm -hmm. is a way to make your life easier, make you more productive, 
but it isn't something that is going to replace you entirely. I mean, that's what they say about the, that's what they said about the computers, right? When they said that, I don't know, computers are being sold now and computers are going to be used for work that people will lose their jobs. But now actually we have so many more jobs because of computers. So, and that's the exciting thing that, uh, looking at the statistics from the nineties. So the yeah. economist looks at unemployment statistics in the U S and what you can actually see is a steady decrease in unemployment. And mm -hmm. right now it's record low in the past 40 years. I mean, you see the right the unemployment spikes, spikes during crises, but then it instantly goes back to that sort of very linear decrease in unemployment. Okay. And um, one of the additional arguments is the fact that basically we're having an industrial revolution, except with, uh, with uh, some form of AI, where not every single one thing would basically revolutionize the industry or revolutionize the world. Like in the 19th century, they thought that the train line, the the the, the setup of train networks, yes, would basically has flipped the entire economy. But the um, um, there's been a Nobel laureate in economics. A what? A Nobel laureate in economics. What is a Nobel laureate? The one who won the Nobel Prize oh, in economics. Oh, that's such a smart word. I think I googled it already once when you wrote it. <laughs> 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 Thank you for being upfront. Uh, but basically. Um, um, there was an economics prize uh, that basically proved that the, the setup of train networks was actually a very minor um, influence on the economy of, as a whole. And it actually was a combination of a multiple of factors. So there were not just the train lines, but also the, the, the fact that there was private property introduced, the fact mm. that women, women had more rights, the fact that the idea of the factory floor was invented. Yeah. And so the logic go, follows as well that basically... ChatGPT and a bunch of other tools is just one mm -hmm. segment of this. And so there must be a lot of other things that will probably at some point, you know, change the world. But it's definitely not just ChatGPT. So yeah. it's slightly... And yeah. the article, so in a summary, kind of says that people shouldn't be too worried that they're going to lose their jobs due to ChatGPT. Well, uh, there is a paragraph in there that some jobs were going to go, but then people are going to get other jobs, right? Exactly. Uh, I mean... And most of the two, uh, things that are being currently automated as well are a lot of numb, uh, numb jobs like a data entry. I mean, that's what they said about the computer as well. But there's still people like <laughs> typing stuff up from computers, like or scanning stuff. <laughs> so yeah, I believe, uh, I don't know. I think there are even like still numb jobs, even though we have computers now. Well, yeah, hey. this is going to take that and remove that and allow people to do more stuff, uh, make companies more productive, increase profitability and so on and so forth. So. I, mean, I, I think I like it that, yeah, kind of gives us a counter to fear that people are losing. I mean, there have been many layoffs in the past few months. So people, I think people currently are a bit afraid of losing their jobs and what they're going to do. Um, but this is, uh, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, is mostly related to financial crisis, not yes. AI. So exactly, but this is one of those spikes goes along with the fear mm, and true. having this counter true, true. counter info. I think it's it's extremely nice. On that note, learn AI tools and get better, because otherwise you will be left behind. Yes, I will show it to my little nephews. I, I think I think I hope my be. sister will give me. Them. Just show it to them and then they will never stop using it. She will give me the okay to do so. <laughs> I mean, everybody else will, right? It's mostly exactly. like... A, yeah, but it's her kids. So. <laughs> All right. Next news.
<laughs> you changed the tone, okay. We put, we, we, we put another sound it's effect, fine. so we were testing a lot okay. of them. We'll see which one. About best. child care shortage in Germany. What is the point about it? So, in a nutshell, uh, what we saw uh, last week was uh, the leftist party uh, of Germany. Leftist. The leftist. It's called Die Which Linke. one is the leftist? Die Linke. So, one of the... Die Linke. Exactly. Uh, it's, very... a, uh, it's a very left-leaning party in Germany. Has submitted an official complaint after they've conducted a study stating that there's actually about 380,000 daycare spots that are missing. Uh, based on the demand that we will likely have in the next 10 years. But wait, that's already like that because people have to like sign up for like a childcare spot in Berlin a year before. So when you get pregnant, you have to sign up for childcare. Uh, right. So the, 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 so the point was that um, this, this party decided to conduct a study. They've kind of, you know, basically used that then as an argument to say why has the government not invested it is the fall of the current government and why don't we have all these positions thinking as if that money would somehow magically uh, create all 300 380,000 positions but actually what we saw uh, uh, from a very interesting study of the people who work and manage these daycares is that there is a huge shortage first of all of kids to some extent because over the past well in the past five years there might have been a lack of investment but there's been a very very high decrease in uh, births so all these daycares that used to exist have closed because there was just not so many kids and second of all which is probably more important uh, the people who work there right now there's basically a huge shortage of uh, stuff even people who manage daycares so to that to such extent that basically there are daycare managers who are raising an alarm that they currently have this the amount of people they have to manage or to to kind of to teach to teach the yeah, kids or whatever kids. is reaching an unhealthy amount that mm -hmm. is basically uh, crossing a, a certain threshold where the who is basically stating what health organization mm -hmm. that that amount is actually counterproductive to education for the kids yeah i'm not secure anymore right like if you have 25 let's say 25 little kids you cannot really take care of them but i mean i find it quite interesting because if there was not enough kids why do you need to apply a year before because daycares have no spaces no so it's it, that's the thing and that's the wonderful that's the interesting that's the wonderful thing about economics right and our society that there's a lot of factors happening at one side one side there is a little less less uh, births happening mm. and so as a result for the past 40 years there has been less and less and less daycares on the other side uh, first of all there is the, the, the social change right women are going to work 40 years ago they didn't so everybody's going to work they, there's a higher need for daycares and on the other side there is actually a lack of staff because there was such little births and so as a result a lot of daycares even if they would want to open they don't have anybody to hire to open yeah, but also maybe the work conditions got really bad. And you said money wouldn't magically make daycares appear. But right, if they're paid better, if the conditions are good, people will do that job again. No, because I mean, I've, I know people working daycare and for them, it's like, yeah, quite stressful. They have to do like lots of diplomas and they have to like, um, yeah, it's complicated. Take it? care of a lot of kids. It's bigger responsibility. I think taking care of someone else's kids is a huge responsibility. I think we, in this case, we're probably going into a more complicated topic of why do people choose their professions, right? 
true. Uh, <laughs> let's not let's uh, not go there. But I think the most important thing for, for us, right, is uh, we were talking about like staff shortages yes. in hospitality. But actually, there is industries that are much more important, like uh, yeah. <laughs> daycare and education yes. for kids, where there is a huge amount of people just missing. They they don't exist because they were never born to manage those organizations, right? Mm. And when it comes to, I mean, for me, if I would be voting for a party. Uh, that would be supporting, you know, daycare day uh, growth and promotion of jobs in that field, mm. rather than hotel reception openings. Uh, I would probably go for the for the for the daycare. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But I think it's just an interesting. I mean, that's why uh, I wanted to list this is yeah. because it's a very interesting observation, right? We we don't live in a bubble. Um, yeah, but I don't know. To me, it also has really to do with the the job conditions as well. Why? I mean. There's a reason why people don't want to work in hotels anymore, right? You work crazy hours, you have a lot of pressure, and you're not paid very well in general. And I think there's a little, and the same in healthcare. You work crazy hours, you have big responsibilities, and the financial return, and I don't know, I think social recognition that you get from it is but limited. Right, it's, it's one of the reasons, I agree. Yes. But probably it's at the very bottom of the list of why there is a lack of staff, right? Let's imagine right now, I think we have about 3% unemployment in Germany, similar to the US. Mm. Uh, that puts it at about, I think, to 2 point something million of uh, people who are unemployed. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, take, let's imagine we take all those people, even though probably half of them never want to work or are sick or having a whole, you know, a break <clears throat> and they want to go and work and they can be distributed to all these wonderful positions because suddenly the government invested billions and it's going to be the best job ever. Mm. Still, there's a million industries that all are having the same problem. So basically, currently, the, the estimate is that we're lacking around 10 million people that, that were for which their positions right now open to be filled. 10 million. And we only have around two when something that are not working. Right. We can say, well, the pe people are working in other industries, but why, why should they uh, choose? I mean, if you want to really compete with other industries, then you're competing with like working for Volkswagen or uh, working in finance. Right. These people are not going to become daycare specialists. I don't think it's their calling. It's at the forefront to me. It seems like a, at its core, um, a problem that is uh, demographic. I don't know if you know that answer, but do they have a daycare shortage in Sweden? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe something maybe to discuss next week. Yes, I'm really interested in that. Cause... Unfortunately, we're not so highly staffed <laughs> at the moment that we have an analyst and a researcher. A researcher. In You're the, the researcher. Yeah, but, I, <laughs> but I'm talking to you. It's hard to click and research. How many days? Usually it would take you two seconds to find a solution. <laughs> I think. No, no, let's not do it now. No. <laughs> but yeah, I think. I know. I don't know. I think these things. I always love to compare to Sweden or, or Finland or because they have these, like, I think, very established social and, um, I mean, they're very wealthy countries and they're very established social systems. So I, I would like to maybe have a look at that. I mean, Germany is not a bad either, right? So yeah, that's on the scale of the planet, I think we're doing pretty well. <laughs> yes, Germany's doing great. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, I think on this, on this point, let's do next news, right? Dum, dum, dum. Next news. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> Uh, we have a few more minutes, so let's uh, maybe go into healthcare. Yes, or did you want to talk about the wine? Depends. Because you're wearing a shirt with a guy that is having a backpack of a wine bottle, drinking out of it. No, that, that's a piece of uh, reading uh, recommendations for, for our readers who are tired of complicated news. 
Okay. We just want to understand how wine uh, producers compete. So maybe let's go into uh, experience economy and uh, hosp hospitals. I okay. Think. Sounds way more exciting to me. Way more exciting. Cool, cool. No, but um, we, we've heard this uh, this week news, um, and it is also related, that uh, Bentley is actually jumping on the experience economy train. Yes. And they are tr starting to offer experienced uh, curated travel. Uh, basically, you can, for example, go on a cruise where Bentley has organized uh, several stays and it's a partnership, or you can have a dining experience inside the Bentley factory. Yeah, it's only about seven twenty-seven thousand K dollars. Yeah, easy. I think it's a cheap yeah. holiday. I mean, we should book it. For people. Maybe we should record a podcast <laughs> okay, while we are Exactly. I mean, I think it's quite an interesting, uh, yeah. So for me, the, the interesting um, aspect was, okay, Bentley is making it. Maybe mm. it's going to work, maybe it's not going to work. But what if, what if we take experience economy to the extreme, right? Mm. We go to hospitals. Hospitals are, well, at least in Germany, not supposed to be uh, profitable enterprises where you make millions. <laughs> they um, do. Billions, right? They do make money, of course, but um, it's not per se a business like a McDonald's, right? Where uh, It's becoming more and more. True, but sure. still, but still, in a lot of a lot of let's let's take the list of countries like Germany, Sweden, where public healthcare is free, right? You pay taxes and it's covered, and you're not being upsold, cross-sold. You have very strict guidelines, relatively speaking, on what can be happening in the hospital. Okay, that's a complete different conversation now. But let's assume, right? So, um, um, basically, there's a, a, a study that uh, we found uh, about hospitals, and whether how, how their bottom line is impacted if they use experience economy and if they try to create experiences out of uh, what happens in the hospital. And the very clear and simple findings are that if you provide a more experience-driven um, stay in a hospital, you hospitals tend to actually create, generate more cash and be more profitable versus if uh, the patients who stay in the hospital rate, they stay there less fun and less uh, satisfactory and less connected to experiences, then the bottom line goes uh, down. To me, but to me, that's the most, uh, right? W imagine another industry. What, what other industry could you imagine where the government is trying to enforce certain rules? There aren't very many out there, right? And uh, hospitals is basically, to me, the antithesis of a business. I mean, on a relative scale, obviously, right? And um, the study shows that uh, even, <laughs> funny enough, experience economy generates more cash for hospitals. So therefore, but experience when you say experience a comedy for a hot, hot, hot uh, for a hospital, I mean, it's just about feeling to be taken care of, right? And I think the worst that can happen if you're in pain or afraid of something and you wait four hours in a hospital, right? And I think it would make a huge difference whether somebody comes by and like, I know you're waiting um, based on your symptoms, you will be fine, or right, like to get a little bit of. But, but input where but, I think this taking care of people or this experience is just so much more important when you're feeling sick and you're afraid than when you go to like for me <laughs> like experience economy is still like okay I, I want to experience something that I've never experienced before but well the, what, what I mean by experience economy right is the kind of uh, thing that Disney does they create stories, they organize uh, stays, they, they add a bit extra on that, right? Um, there's a book that we yeah. recommended last week, right? That um, basically explains that there's a whole other thing going on in the background. Like, for example, the idea of a stage, 
But anytime there is a customer, or in this case, patient-facing environment, people should think about it as if they are on a stage in mm. a theater performing, right? Not just doing whatever they want, like smoking in the corridor or something. Yeah. And uh, still, right, in the hospital, it's not like you get a choice much of what you can do, right? If you have a, <laughs> a certain illness or you need to be operated, you need to be operated, otherwise you will die. Right or you basically at least in Germany, right? The the doctors prescribe very clear stuff, and then most for most people it's covered by the insurance, right? So they don't actually have a decision as to what they will do. It's not like they have a menu. I'll I'll cut the leg off, or I will do this, or I'll do that. Most of the time, the insurance provides it, right? At least uh, in most most civilized countries. Yeah, 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 for sure. But my point is kind of like right by paying for a hospital. Sorry, by paying for a hospital, you're trying to avoid a horrible experience, which more, that's more of like what I think in a hospital, the point is why they're making cash for like private insurance, because let's say you're, you're giving birth and you have your private room or you share with three other people. It's a complete different True. experience of True. having or giving birth in, 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 in so, a single room than in a different so one. So perhaps the pe people who stay in hospitals are willing to spend way more money as long as they actually feel like they're taken care of because exactly. to them it connects to being more healthy exactly and health obviously is one of those most basic needs that people have i think so and that's true. why i think true, how true. like how is a hospital a... well uh you've uh, contradicted what i've uh, what i was <laughs> making uh, point of but that... uh, but i but i agree with you i mean in that sense i yes i just thinking from my personal example i'm obviously more willing to pay for something that is going to save my life than waited out in the hospital that I feel like not being taken care of. Uh, but nonetheless, to me, I, yeah, I mean, all the, this topic aside, perhaps, I think the main point, what, uh, what I was trying to make is, yeah, trying to implement experiences in your business is yeah. going to impact the bottom line, right? And uh, I think that is still kind of a, not a fact or not a thing that people just agree with uh, across a lot of businesses. True. And experiences are often created with humans. Not Chachabichi. <laughs> Well, we have reached our our end. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Miriam. Uh, I guess until next week. Yes. When we will discuss whatever happened uh, this week. This week. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you very much.